in the book, First Things First. The author wrote about a seminar that he attended, in which the speaker placed a, a wide gallon jar, a wide mouth gallon jar, on a table in front of him. And then he placed, one at a time, twelve fist-sized rocks in the jar. When no more rocks would fit, he asked his audience, is the jar full? And they all said, yes. Then he got a bucket of gravel from under the table and took a big scoop of it and poured it into the jar. Gave it a shake and all the gravel fitted into the gaps between the, the rocks in the jar. Again he asked, is the jar full? Well, this time people weren't so sure. Then he took another box from under the table. This time it was a box of sand and he poured that sand into the jar. And the sand filled up the gaps between the gravel and the rocks. For a third time he asked, is the jar full? But this time the people were beginning to get the point. Finally he took a jar of of water and poured the water into the, into the jar and filled it up to the brim. So what was the point of that illustration? Well, it's not that you can always fit more into your life if you just try harder. Because that's not a good idea. That's not going to bless us. The point of it is rather that if you don't put the rocks in first, you'll never get them in. You need to put those big rocks into that jar first and then all the other things will fit in the gaps. And that's the same in our lives. You have to put the priorities in first and then everything else will fit in between. And I think that's kind of like what Jesus was teaching when he taught about prayer in Matthew chapter 6. As we saw a couple of weeks ago, Jesus didn't give us a prayer just to recite, just to memorize and just to say again and again. That's not what he was doing. Instead, he was giving us a pattern to follow. A model or a structure that will teach us how we should pray. That will guide us in our prayer times. And in this pattern... He taught us to put the big rocks in first. Yes, there are other issues in our lives and we are invited to pray about them too. We'll see that in later weeks. But Jesus wanted us to focus on the important things first. So what are those big rocks? What should be the priority as we come to pray. Well, again, we're going to read Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 to 13, and Caroline's going to come and read it to us. So, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 to 13. Thank you, Caroline. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Thank you, Caroline. In 2006, the book, The Secret, 
promise that you can gain anything that you want in life. Wealth, health, the perfect mate, business success, respect from others, literally anything you want. All you need to do is learn the secret, as they called it, the secret of the law of attraction. Think about good things, and good things will come to you. Obviously, the opposite is that if you're experiencing a whole lot of bad things, well, that's because of your fault, because you've been thinking about the wrong things. And this book actually became a, a bestseller. It was turned into a movie in 2020, and made its author at least a lot of money. But it is unapologetically self-centered. This is what it claims. The earth turns on its orbit for you. The sun rises and sets for you. Goes on to say, the universe is supporting you in everything you do. The universe meets all your needs immediately. I hope none of us bought that book or watch a movie or be deceived by that kind of teaching, that kind of lying. And yet, if we analysed our prayer life, I wonder how many of our prayers would be dominated by the same self-centred hopes as this book claims to fulfil. Do we ever treat our prayer life like it was about getting everything that we want? Is the main focus of our prayers, our needs, our plans, our ambitions, our aspirations? Or do we even sometimes feel like giving up with prayer because we're not getting everything we want? But that's not what prayer should look like according to Jesus. In this pattern for prayer, Jesus taught us that prayer should be God-centered, not self-centered. Again, let me repeat, this does not mean that we can't pray for the things that we need. Nor does it mean that we can't just urgently call out to God when we're in trouble. Do you remember what Peter did when he was sinking into the water? Before he'd walked in the water and then he was sinking in because he took his eyes off Jesus. And when he sank, he was just called out, Lord, save me. And of course we can pray like that just when we're in trouble. Quickly just pray and ask God for help. But in our everyday prayer life, in our ongoing communication with God, our priorities should be God-centered. It should be that first of all we're concerned with God's name and God's kingdom and God's will. So let's have a look at this. We're just going to look at verse 9 and 10 this morning. And just three points. First of all, Jesus taught us to pray, Hallowed be your name. What does that mean? 
very familiar phrase. But what does it mean to hallow God's name? Well, when we talk about the name of God, we're of course not talking about the combination of letters G-O-D or whatever it is in, in a different language. Instead, God's name stands for who he is. God's name is his character, it's his activity, it's his reputation, it's his honour. And to hallow means to sanctify, to make holy or to treat as holy. To set something or someone apart as being special and give them the honour that they deserve. So we're called to treat God's name as holy. Because of course, God's name is already holy, isn't it? The Lord is already separate from all others. He's already exalted above all. This is what 1 Samuel 2 2 says. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. God is already holy. So this prayer is not asking us to, uh, asking for God to become something that He's not. Hallowed be your name is not God be holy, because He already is. But rather it's an expression of our desire that He would be treated as holy. It expresses our longing that He will have all the praise and all the glory and all the honour that He deserves because He is holy. Because He is separate. Because He is unique. Because He is wonderful. The nation of Israel, they were called to honour God's name. To sanctify God's name. They were commanded to do this. Do not profane my holy name. I must be acknowledged as holy by the Israelites. Through their lives, they were supposed to show, declare, demonstrate the holiness of God. To honour and respect who He is and to demonstrate, demonstrate that to the world. They failed to do this. Again and again, down through their history, they profaned God's name. That means they they desecrated it. They dishonoured Him. They brought His name into disrepute by how they lived. They were known as God's people. So how they lived reflected badly on who God is. They did that through failing to fulfill the vows that they made. Through listening to false prophets and leading, who led them into false worship. Through idolatry. Also through oppressing the poor. Amos Chapter 2 says this, They trample on the heads of the poor as upon the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. Father and son use the same girl and so 
profane my holy name. Israel did not sanctify God's name. They did not hallow God's name. But Jesus was different from this. On the night before he went to the cross, this was his prayer. Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son. That your Son may glorify you. Jesus' deepest longing was that he would be glorified so that he would glorify his Father. His greatest prayer was that through him, the greatness, the beauty, the awesomeness of his Father would be declared to the world. And that just wasn't just a one-off prayer. It wasn't an isolated prayer. This was the driving passion of his whole life. Jesus went on to pray in this prayer, John 17, verse 4. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. All through his life, Jesus brought God the glory that he deserved through his radical obedience. I was even willing to do that, even when it would cost him everything on the cross. Jesus went to the cross, ultimately, to glorify his Father. Yes, Jesus went to the cross for us, to save us. Jesus went to the cross because he loved us. But ultimately, it was to bring honor to his Father. It was to glorify God. Through his sacrificial death and victorious resurrection and ascension, Jesus revealed the greatness of God's holiness and power and grace and love. And it's his example that he invited us to follow in our prayer life. The longing of our heart should be for our Heavenly Father's name to be glorified. For His beauty and majesty and greatness to be revealed. And not just out there in the world, but also in our lives. That through our obedience, and our commitment, and our worship, that God will be honoured as He deserves. So to pray, hallowed be your name, to pray that sincerely, is a real challenge to our pride and our self-centeredness. It means that our ultimate reason for praying, even when we're asking for help, or for strength, or for power, or for healing, or for support, or for success, our ultimate goal in praying that is not for us to have an easy life. It's not so that we can be admired by others. It's not so that we can make a name for ourselves or our family or our church. The ultimate goal in praying all of that should be to sanctify God's holy name. 
We want to honour our Father. And encourage everyone to do the same. Praying for God's name to be hallowed needs to be part of a life. Whereas Paul said, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That's the only way that praying that prayer makes sense. So first of all, we should pray to sanctify God's name. Secondly, we should pray, your kingdom come. Now, the whole world, of course, belongs to God. He is the rightful ruler of this universe. But not everybody accepts this. Many people are rebelling against His rule and His reign in their lives. And so, God's kingdom is everywhere that God is accepted as king. It's a spiritual kingdom encompassing everyone who's accepted God's reign in their lives. And Jesus, he brought this kingdom in a a new way. Remember when he started his public ministry? This was his message. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God is near. And this is what Jesus brought through his death on the cross. Those of us who have turned from our sins, who have repented, and who have believed the good news, who put our faith in Jesus, we've been brought into God's kingdom. He has rescued us from the, the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son. He loves. We've been brought into God's kingdom. In a very real sense, God's kingdom has already come into our lives if we've trusted in Jesus. But God's kingdom hasn't fully come yet. Many people, of course, have not yet submitted to Jesus. The news presents the evidence every day of people who are living in rebellion against God as their king. Immorality, abuse, crime, materialism, murder, war. They're all the results of people rebelling against God, refusing to live inside God's kingdom. And so today we still pray, your kingdom come. We still long for God's kingdom to come into people's lives. We plead with God for our friends and our family and our neighbours and our nation and this world. That He will open up blind eyes. Draw people to faith in Him. To bring people from darkness into light. From death to life. This was the longing of the Apostle Paul's heart. This is what he said. My heart's desire, 
and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. And if we love God, and if we love others as we're called to do, then this will be one of those priorities in our prayer life. Our heart's desire and our prayer to God will be for those around us to be saved. Your kingdom come in salvation into their lives. But as we pray this for others, we also need to pray your kingdom come for ourselves. If we've trusted in Jesus, we are part of God's kingdom, as I've said. But we know that there are areas of our lives that we haven't allowed to come under God's rule and reign. And so as we pray, your kingdom come, we're praying, as Jesus said us to, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. It's an expression of our desire for God to continue that work of sanctification in our lives. To make us increasingly holy in His sight. As we bow before Him, allowing Him to lead us and guide us and empower us to live for Him so that we can become more and more like Jesus. Father, Your kingdom come in my life. Make me more like God's kingdom came in the past through Jesus. God's kingdom is coming today. But we long for that day when God's kingdom will be fully established. When Jesus will come again and at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so we look around at the world today and our hearts should cry, come and take charge, Lord. Come and defeat the evil that's all around us. Come and establish your kingdom. Come and rule in love. And that's how the Bible ends. Revelation chapter 22, Jesus declares, Yes, I am coming soon. And the author John, in response, cries out, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. So this morning we pray, Your kingdom come. To others in salvation, to ourselves in that process of sanctification, but ultimately longing for that second coming of Jesus when He will come and establish His rule and reign forever. But until that day, thirdly we pray, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will is fully and and eagerly done in heaven. Without questioning. Without debate. 
And so our prayer should that be increasingly, that will be increasingly the reality here on earth. <clears throat> it's about asking for God's will to be done on earth. And so prayer is not about us telling God what to do. It's about us submitting to God's plans and longing for His purpose. It's not, we don't pray in order to get everything that we want. Instead, we pray to get everything that God wants. As someone has said, prayer is a mighty instrument, not for getting man's will done in heaven, but for getting God's will done on earth. But praying this prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is a really challenging prayer for us. When you think about it. In Isaiah 55, the Lord declared, My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. God's will is often different from our will. Sometimes it's difficult to understand God's will. Often it's difficult for us to accept it. Because it includes times of suffering and and struggle. Rejection and ridicule. Self-denial and and loss. So what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. Following Jesus includes following Him into suffering. In those difficult times, it's not wrong for us to pray for help, for healing, for relief or for rescue. Of course we can. But as we pray, we need to echo Jesus' words, what He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, when He prayed for God's help, and yet He said, Yet not my will, but yours be done. And that's what we are called to pray for. Not pray like a kind of passive prayer. This isn't about going to God and saying, Oh well God, shrugging your shoulders and saying, Well God, you just do whatever you want and all. That's not what it means. The prayers of God's people in the Bible, they're not like that. They prayed for God's will to be done, but they were active in their prayers. They were desperate in their prayers. They were specific in what they believed God's will was. They believed that they understood what God's will was and they believed that God would accomplish His will through their prayers. That's incredible partnership that we've been invited into. Listen to what Jesus said, John chapter 14. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may glorify the Father. That's God's plan for our lives. That He will accomplish His will through 
the prayers of his people. We have been given the staggering privilege of being the agents through which God accomplishes his plan in this world. But how do we know what to pray for? Well, look at Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 says this. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. So this is what we have to do. As we reject the influence of this world, and continue to follow Jesus, allowing Him to teach us His truth by His Word and through His Spirit, then He will transform us by renewing our minds, by changing how we think, how we, our attitude to this world, our attitude to our lives. And as we do this, the result will be that we will increasingly be able to know God's will. And not only that, we'll be able to test it and approve it. We'll be able to prove by experience that, that God's will, although it's not the easiest, it's not the most comfortable, it's not the most popular path, it is good and pleasing and perfect. And if we do that, then praying for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven will not be something that we need to grudgingly accept. But rather we'll eagerly submit to this reality. Because we'll believe that there's nothing better for us or for anyone else around us than to be in the centre of God's will. And if we pray like this, if we pray in accordance with God's will for us, then we have this incredible promise. 1 John 5, 14, 15. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of Him. How can we have confidence that our prayers will be heard and will be answered? How can we pray effective prayers? By praying according to God's will. By praying, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So these are the big rocks that we need to put in first. These are the priorities for our prayer life. If we are God's children, if we love our Heavenly Father because He first loved us, then our prayers should focus on sanctifying God's name because we believe that He deserves all the praise and all the glory. 
Our prayers will focus on seeking God's kingdom. Because we long for the day when His rule and reign is complete. And our prayers will focus on submitting to God's will. Because we are convinced that His will is good and pleasing and perfect. That won't stop us from praying for our practical and everyday needs. We'll see that next week. But it will change your perspective on them. Because it will help us remember that prayer is not about us getting everything that we want. It's not the secret to everything that we've longed for. It's about something far better than that. It's about the privilege of being part of our Father's work on earth. To see His kingdom come. And His will be done. For His honour. And for His glory.